welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. I'm Amy. And I'm Megan. And as you can see, we have our very second guest. Megan is an award-winning writer from Ontario. She is a first place prize winner in the George Johnston Poetry Prize competition. She's also been featured in publications including Bywords.ca, Anti-Lang, and Soundbite. And she has her very first book, Vestiges, coming out today when this is published. So thank you so much for coming, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's also very important to note that Megan is my friend. We went to school together. That's how Megan made her way onto the podcast. We're not cool. She just happens to be my friend. I mean, we are cool. I think we're pretty cool. <laughs> You're very cool. We're we're all right. So uh, this is an English major podcast. You don't have to be an English major to listen, but a lot of us are, and Amy and I definitely are. And Megan, you also started out that way. So uh, just to get the ball rolling, I was thinking you could tell us a little bit about your favorite poet. That's a really big question because I feel like I can never settle on just one. I would say like presently, the poets that I read the most are Ocean Vuong and Billy Ray Belcourt. But like when I really first started reading poetry, I was really into the romantic. So I was really into like Wordsworth and Blake. Oh yeah. And then I got into the modernists like T.S. Eliot, Ezra Pound, E.E. E. Cummings. Really like Sylvia Plath, really like Al Purdy. It's kind of like very broad, I would say, in that sense. But yeah, in the very beginning, when I first started reading poetry, I read a lot of Shakespeare, and then I read a lot of uh, Wordsworth and Blake. She's better read than we are. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> We're so poorly read for people who have a book podcast. <laughs> what are your, who are your favorite poets? Can I ask? Yeah, Christina Rossetti is mine. Oh, yeah, she's great. I guess she's not part of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, but she's an honorary member and the best member of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood to me. I know who I don't like. See, we had to read Ozymandias by Shelley in high school and it kind of just tanked my appreciation of poetry for a while. And then I came back and now I'm fine and I'm here on the podcast. Percy Shelley got paid by the word and he wrote like he got paid by the word. Mm -hmm. Which is definitely not what your writing is like, Megan. Your writing's very concise and you fit so much feeling and so much passion into so few words. And I think it's very impressive. Thank you. I feel like that comes from a place of trying to refine it because when I was in high school, I wanted to write like I was a romantic poet. Like I wrote so dramatically, and, like <laughs> flowery. Like, and that did not bode well for me. My teachers are always giving me back assignments. And they were like, what the heck? Like... <laughs> <laughs> what is this? And so I feel like as I started reading more of the modernists, I really felt like, okay, this is closer to like the style that I want to emulate, kind of. I mean, it's a balance. It's a balance between the way that I feel, these big grandiose like romantic feelings, and then kind of the succinct, like more choppiness and sharpness I feel of the space on the page that I want to emulate and that I kind of feel the modernists. Yeah, I definitely found that in like at least three of your poems I wrote like the words are on like very specific places on the page and this is really <laughs> impressive and it's like it really dictates how you're you're reading your pieces so you know you did what you planned to do so good job on that one glad it came across yeah you can definitely see the different influences because like your imagery is so gorgeous and like so evocative and then your form is like very clearly influenced by modernism so i can see that completely one of the poems you use the word gubbler which is a philip k dick uh, reference uh, yes. from our time travel <laughs> class we had together and i was like i know this 
I read this with her. I feel so special. <laughs> I am so glad that someone picked up on it. After I wrote that, I was thinking like, wow, it might only be the people who took that master's course with me <laughs> or other like Philip K. Dick fans who get this Gubbler reference. But yeah, I, I did my final paper on that class on the concept of the Gubbler and uh, the erasure of meaning from kind of systems of communication, like language. And I started writing that poem at an entirely different time, but that word just really came to me as a way of describing kind of the event or the person that I was writing about with someone who is acting like a gubbler, someone who usurps the meaning from kind of these closed systems of communication that we've been taught to speak in. So for the dumber people in this room, i.e. me, a gubbler is what? What what is a gubbler? What is a gubbler? <laughs> it's from this book called The Martian Time Slip. Yeah, they live on Mars. My memory's a little foggy. The story is loosely about this one child of two parents. He lives on Mars and he has autism and he struggles to communicate throughout the text, as do though other characters. And this concept of gobble is what the book quite literally dissolves into. Um, you know, there will be you'll be reading a paragraph of text and then it'll turn into gobble 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 like over and over again. And it's meant to like kind of indicate this deterioration of being able to understand what someone's saying or the deterioration of meaning in the language and being unable to fundamentally communicate with others. Oh, that's so interesting. Megan's the smart one here. Oh, yeah, clearly. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's you too. Yeah, we should not be hosting this, but here we are. <laughs> but I found that the poem, this is from Marginalian Retrospect, it's like, this feels like slam poetry. And I was wondering, like, is this how you intended to, like, write it? Because, like, I was reading it out loud and I just kept being like, like this slaps like I feel you know like it's gripping my soul so I was wondering if that was part of the process and the intention absolutely I wouldn't say that I started it meaning to write slam poetry but it is definitely inspired by slam poetry and when I was writing it I wanted to be shouting these words at someone I wanted it to feel like a backhand you know what I mean like I wanted yeah. it to feel like when you tell someone to step off or step back like that's yeah. really what I wanted the poem to feel like and I just wanted to do it in a clever way kind of like I'm not saying it's clever because you know I'll leave that to the readers to decide but I wanted to like use references to all these literary things I guess it just kind of uses a way to really like convey the tone and that is how I imagine it so I'm glad that it came across that way to you it really did yeah so we know that this is one of my favorites obviously but we were wanted to know like which poem in your trap book means the most to you the first one I'll say is fire trees and small towns <sighs> That is my favorite one. That's the one that had me sobbing. I am so glad. So that is actually, that's the first poem I wrote. And I put it at the center of the text because to me, it is the anchor. It is the nucleus that everything else like orbits around. And it's fundamentally and drastically different, I think, in format than the other poems. And that one's my darling because that one I wrote straight from the heart. It captures all of those big romantic feelings that I had. I had never really written poetry before and I never like sure as heck wasn't going to tell anyone that I was writing poetry. And I was encouraged by my second year Canadian lit prof to submit to a poetry contest. And I did that. And then it won. Just I have a fond memory of that because I, you know, I had no concept of how to write poetry. It was very validating and scary at the same time. Yeah, I, uh, I wrote in my margins that it's the next great Canadian poem. Yeah, I can totally <laughs> see that. Because it just evokes all of this. All of these like feelings of family and Canadiana and like what we want. We want to be remembered and like all these feelings of life that just prairie fiction as much as I hate on it it does capture the yeah. essence of life so well and this poem does it so well as well I was actually going to ask if it was one of your earlier poems 
poems that you wrote because the form is so fundamentally different from the rest of the book and I think it totally works where you've placed it. It's a warm hug in the middle of the book but it's also like so deeply heart-wrenching and sad. It's hopeful but you can feel like this nostalgia and just this kind of, I don't want to say dread for the inevitability of what's to come but the sadness that this is a beautiful moment but it can't last forever because nothing can and I think you've captured like the feeling of family and the feeling of fleetingness so perfectly. I'm so glad that it resonated that way. I was really curious and something that I wanted to ask you too was how did you experience the poems? Like how did you find the order of the text and what did it feel like to you to move through it? It almost feels like a coming of age liberation type story to it. Like decomposition starts and in memory especially start from such like a deep space of like pain I feel and then you move through them and like you know you get through through the, the spire trees, small town, and it kind of like anchors you down, as you said. And then you finish with all these like, I don't have the patience for your bullshit type poems. Like, girl, for me, just like, whoo, <laughs> something's going on here. This is going to sound pedantic, but it very much exemplifies what vestiges mean in a sense like it's very much like all these stories these moments that are like etched into you not maybe you Megan as you are but like you as like the poet author the way I saw it was kind of like as you were reading the poems you were kind of unwrapping layers of this persona of the narrator of the poems and it kind of felt like when you're first getting to know a friend and they start telling you things about themselves and you start getting like glimpses of their past and then they'll open up about like some childhood moment and then rear right into it. We get the deep traumatic moments and we get the <laughs> the hopeful moments. You're sharing more and more as you're getting to know the person. That's what the book feels like. It feels like you're getting to know your best friend. It does feel like those 2 a.m. chats you have with people after like you're severely <laughs> overtired, but you're like, I don't want this moment to end. And like when it ended, I was like, but there's more, right? Like there has to be more. And it was like acknowledgement that I'm like, is this another poem? <laughs> it wasn't. Um, much to my chagrin. More to come. <laughs> <laughs> is there another book planned? I hope so. Yeah, I have ideas in the works I'm still writing it's still pretty amorphous right now though or like ill-defined but I definitely think that there will be another one to come I envision it as a full-length manuscript I envision it to be maybe a little more playful with form maybe incorporating some elements of visual art that's what I see myself working towards in a creative space because I, I feel like it was really fun to write this I feel more like this is just like kind of cracking the door open like I, I think there's more to say I just have to write my way there I suppose yeah, I think your voice is far from done. Oh. Yeah. I like that you want to play more with form, too. I'm like, you haven't already? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, you were talking about, you know, you have to write your way there. Like, what inspires you to write? Does it come from like a, I'm bored, I'm just going to write? Or is it like you feel it that it needs to come out of you? Mm -hmm. How does that work for you? More the latter. I don't think that I'm one of those people who... I could just sit, inspire myself. It is fun to like challenge yourself and say, I'm going to sit down and write a sonnet today or I'm going to like write in this form. But to me, that's not particularly inspiring. And I find that when I write that way, it's usually very dry and I don't like it very much. <laughs> this is going to sound really cliche, but I just, I get inspired by people, by people watching, watching moments that go unnoticed. So when I moved into Ottawa, my writing process changed because I started going for walks every night after dinner. I moved into an apartment by myself. It was during the pandemic. I wasn't seeing anyone 
and I was lonely. And so I would make sure to go out and like take like an hour or two hour long walk and then I would come back and I would sit and I would write by hand. Like I write all the time and I've kept a journal since I was like eight. And so I think that that probably helps like keep everything loose in my head and like it just I'm pretty comfortable just writing like by freehand like stream of consciousness kind of thing and then I can tell when it's starting to like when you have the bones of a poem going and then it just feels natural. But I don't try to force it ever. If it's not coming I put it down and if it's coming then I just go with it and I come back to it later to kind of refine it I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that working because that's the opposite of what I was doing in my We Read Our Bad High School Poems episode. And uh, yeah, mine were terrible. So I can see why that would work. <laughs> so how uh, how did all of this start to happen? Like, how did you get into writing more professionally? Aside from like, you had this prof who forced you into it, voluntold you to do it kind of thing. But uh, aside from that, like, how did the ball roll? I feel like it didn't get rolling for quite a while, to be honest. I didn't really intend to go into it professionally. After I wrote Fire Trees in Small Towns and it won, I just kept writing and then I never shared my writing with anyone except for the different magazines and publishers that I would submit it to. I just had like this big long word document of all the different like publications and magazines and stuff in Canada and I would just submit. Mostly because I was looking for feedback because I didn't know that there were like workshop circles or and I was kind of afraid to join them I guess so I really just blindly sent a whole bunch of stuff out. Probably a lot of it was really bad and most of the time I didn't even get feedback but you know I gathered from the rejection slips that it was pretty some of it was pretty bad but it was good because some of them did come with feedback and a lot of the times they led to other opportunities like I got to meet other poets or I got to speak with the editors and that was so helpful so that happened a lot during my like I would say second and third years of university yeah I would say my fourth year I started writing I think my writing got better like at least creatively although really like who defines better. It's very subjective. But I just started writing more. I felt like I had a more defined voice, maybe, and took some poetry courses. And I just kind of tried to pursue it on my own. And I didn't have like a mentor, I would say, in that scene. So I just tried to like really jump into the Ottawa scene and put myself out there a little more. And then I'm still trying to kind of find my way in that. But it's getting clearer every day, like the more that I do and the more that I learn, which is fun. And one of the things that I had the privileges of doing is when I was doing my master's, I was the TA, I was a workshop leader for a creative writing course. And that was a lot of fun to do and work with the first year students because we were always writing for like an hour and a half, at least every week, sometimes three. Uh, we would get together, me and like 60 students, and we'd just bounce ideas off each other and talk about it and perform it. And that was super fun and helped a lot, I would say. Too. Yeah. But, you know, you forged your own path here, which is really impressive compared to like, you know, other people who might have had more hand-holding you seem to have really like you know macheted your way through the weeds of <laughs> publication ah uh, yes that is how i see myself i have all these metaphors you just have to stay for <laughs> i them. love them yes keep them coming <laughs> so i guess you know we we talked about the poem that you appreciate the most which one was the hardest to write that's a great question i would say either girl or eros of the harbinger eros is probably my second favorite one actually and it was just hard because i wanted to choose the words right and i was trying to understand kind of like the meaning behind the poem myself like i was trying to like identify what i wanted to get at and then make sure i'm choosing the the best words to kind of like convey that but girl was hard to write because originally it was way longer Girl was like longer than fire trees in small towns originally. And I had to like oh, wow. slash that. Like, I mean, machete at yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly. I macheted my text. And, you know, that was kind of hard. It took a long time to come to that, <laughs> like to be okay with that. Like, so I think that one was hard to write just because um, I had to cut it down so much. And I, I think, like, I do think it's more effective as a shorter poem, but it was difficult to figure out how to do that in the best way, I would say. Also, it was hard to capture. Like, I, I wanted to make sure I was doing due diligence to the scene I guess that inspired it 
while still keeping it kind of like impactful and succinct. If it's not like overly personal, but like what inspired girl? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a funny poem. So the instant or the the moment I guess that inspired it, I was literally sitting in a Tim Hortons in my hometown and I was writing in my journal and there's no one in there. I'm having my tea and this like girl comes in and she's like clearly in high school and it's just and she just orders this cough. She orders a double double and I'm just like watching this exchange and she's kind of who I was describing like in the start of the poem and I was thinking about like maybe this is you know I don't know presumptuous or whatever but like you know I felt like I couldn't help but be like wow like I remember like when I was that age and like I remember when I kind of felt like that I could read the like the way she was holding herself like this kind of almost insecurity or just discomfort but also combined with this like chin up kind of like attitude, like this kind of like, what are you looking at kind of attitude. And I don't know, it just really struck me. It stood, it was beautiful to me. You've got that exact moment in the poem. So that's really interesting that you cut so much, but you kept not only the essence of the poem, but also like the inspiration for the poem within itself. I'm glad that it's recognizable because I felt like it was important to kind of have that kind of concrete imagery to start it and to really like draw from. Because I I find that personally, I want to root my poems in like images first and foremost and then kind of like extrapolate meaning from that to me there's always like a meaning behind you know the vision that's kind of why I prioritized including that I think in the forefront of the poem rather than get too bogged down in other kind of like descriptors or modifiers I would say of that image yeah that one works really well I mean they all work really well but it also stood out to me it was one of the ones that I had flagged to look out for when it pops up in the greatest Canadian hits (laughs) anthology (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Can I ask you a question? I'm curious um, what your favorite poem was or what one like stood out to you the most, if you didn't already say it. Mine was Fire Trees and Small Towns. My first favorite was The Way Love Makes You because I just, it hurts so much. Oh gosh, yeah. It was so sad. I'm guessing it's about a pet, a beloved pet. And I've had those exact moments of finding like pets that that are long gone like their fur just in whatever piece of clothing I haven't washed in five years or like in the recess of my closet in my childhood home. And it just like the imagery, the feeling that like sadness, that grief that hits you when you find it again. And you're like, oh yeah, you're still around, you know, you're like, you're in my heart, you're in my mind, but you're also still causing me allergies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I put a little star next to it. I started crying again because I just started looking at it. You're making me cry. People, you can't see this, but we're all tearing. It's fine. This is this is good. It's great content. Everyone loves when people cry on a podcast. <laughs> but I'm I'm guessing this was one of your pets um growing up. Yeah, yeah. It was inspired by a pet that my family and I had. She was a cat. Her name was Smash. <laughs> Yeah, her name was Smash because we actually got her kind of accidentally at a demolition derby at a fair. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we named her Smash. Yeah, it's probably about four or five years ago now. But I went on like a tiny vacation for my birthday and I came back and Smash had disappeared. She died, unfortunately. She was eaten by a coyote. Oh, gosh. Yeah, obviously that experience was very sad. I'm sure. Yeah, and over time, I I thought about it a lot. Like not just I thought about Smash and I thought about the death, but I thought about like... the whole experience of it, I thought about, you know, how my brother has like a bag of her fur 
ziplocked in his closet, you know? And I thought about how even when someone's gone, they're not really all the way gone. And I thought about what remains. And I thought about, funnily enough, I thought about this poetry seminar I'd taken during my fourth year, where we had been talking about um, Montreal modernist poets. And one of them had written a poem about his cat. And he had received a lot of flack from the other poets in his circle saying, kind of like, you can't write a poem about a cat. Like, who cares? Kind of thing. Like, And like, we talked about this in the class and I remember thinking like, heck yeah, you absolutely you can write a poem about a pet and people care. Like, because it's more than just the pet. It's love. Like, that's yeah. what you're really yeah. getting at. Who among us has not felt, you know, the grip of love? I also have a single whisker in a little container from my first childhood cat, Patches. Oh. Just because... You know, when someone's gone, they you're you're right, they're not really gone. And it's just so special to have like something from them. Yeah, I, I remember when, when Patches passed away, I remember like holding you together hug that I had to give you. It's I think this this poem so securely demonstrates like the love that we have for these companions that we have for such a short amount of time for us yeah. over their entire world, you know? You nailed it. And it's so silly. Oh. It's so silly to say that you can't yeah. write about a cat because so many people have companion animals in their lives and and they are part of your family so it's like Mm -hmm. saying you can't write about a family member and I think too sometimes there's this tendency to get caught up in the literalness of what the poem is about or what the imagery is and sure maybe the poem is about a cat or maybe you might write a poem about a dog or you might write a poem about something else that seems meaningless to someone somewhere but it's about what's behind that it's about the theory or the philosophy that you're trying to expound upon behind that which I think is at times when people make arguments about you know oh poems about cats or whatever are silly like I think really you might be maybe missing the mark a little bit in terms of like not digging deep enough to understand what is behind the image yeah for sure the poem is definitely about a feeling Like, I didn't even realize right away that it was about an animal. I just, like, got the feeling and the love and the bond. And then I realized slowly as I was reading it what it was about. See, for me, what what really got me is, we talked about this last week on the pod, but I had a cat named Caramel. And you talk about, like, there's this line that says, tufts of taffy and caramel. And I was just like, oh, no, this is going to be sad. (laughs) And like I kept going through and I was like, this this is sad. But like at the same time, like it just there's this quote in, in WandaVision that's like, what is grief if not love persevering? Oh my gosh. But it's just that's what it is, you know? Like it is the way love makes you. I think the one that was the hardest to read for me was the untitled HTML. Oh yeah. I just I kept like trying to like get into it and then I kept seeing like the words individually and not together yeah. and they kept like evoking different types of feelings some of them anger like yeah. risk management anger yeah do you have any anything to say about that one yeah it's so that one i find it difficult to read like difficult to like speak i suppose it's intended to be very like um choppy and almost like dry or something like but it's just it's it's a little different i would say than some of the others and it's supposed to be that way and so it's funny that risk management stands out to you and i'm gonna give you a little bit of background so part of like how I imagine this poem the reason it's called untitled html is because this poem started as an email and when the email showed up in my drafts it was called untitled html so that was how I kept it and when I sat down to write this email I did not intend to write a poem but this is what came out and it was during a period of time when I was going through some change and there was a lot of change happening at my place of work and elsewhere in my life I was just preoccupied by the way in which as an adult I find in order to give life meaning partially like you're always trying to forge connections with people but inevitably for one reason or another these connections are always broken 
or, you know, you have to deadhead them at some point. You might move or something like that, right? And so there's always this kind of like recurringness of having relationships bloom over and over again. And trying to do that as an adult, I find the connections that you're forging with people only tend to get deeper over time. It gets harder and harder. Like you're expected to just kind of be able to like forge these deep connections and then just put them down and say, well, okay, like clean my hands. I'm done with this now. I'll just go along and forge them with someone else or something else. And that poem is born out of like the moment when I, as like an adult grown woman, like out of university, like out on my own and stuff, realized like, geez, like that's kind of hard to reckon with. Like, and I'm not going to like sit here and pretend like it isn't. I'm not going to let myself be like apathetic or cold to like, in order to avoid the sting of relationships failing or changing or people moving. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you talk about like the preemptive risk management. This kind of preemptive risk management taught me how relationships bloom over and over and over and over again. And I think that's a really interesting stanza in a poem called Untitled HTML because it's so rooted in the current moment. And a lot Hmm. of how we talk about relationships now is like, are we cutting things off at the root when we're not letting them bloom? Like, are people Mm -hmm. getting into relationships and then not like following through through difficult times because we have so many more options now? When people used to get married, when say our grandparents were getting married, you would get married and that's it. That's that's all you have for the rest of your life. In some cases, like before that, you would meet a person. And Mm -hmm. if you start dating, that's it for the rest of your life. And if there's difficult times, in a lot of cases, it was because the women didn't have the resources to get out of the relationship. But the way that we talk about it nostalgically now, it's that people would just tough it through because they cared about the relationship more than the current moment and now it's like okay we're on to the next thing this isn't working what's Mm -hmm. what else is out there for me and i think Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting like juxtaposition of that stanza with that particular title that is super neat i really really appreciate you sharing that you're totally i think like you're totally right i know exactly what you're talking about i think it's interesting that you've just been doing so much and like we can read so much into it and there's just there's so many layers of meaning in these poems that like you could just talk about one poem for 45 minutes i was wondering uh is there one that you would like to read on air sure i would love to read one thank you i was thinking about beneath your thumb that's a really good one okay beneath your thumb and if What? If I want you to hold me the way you hold that page, I see it tremble. The page, not you lean over, head dipping, clutching. And if, what? If you stripped it of the jacket, let it fall open, traced the T-Y-P-E. My words reach for your eyes, and if, what? If you shut it, Softly or slammed, covers beneath your hands, covering me, gaze bent between knee, a study of intent and vulnerability. Words fall away, the final fur in a felled forest, beneath the weight of your gaze I am stripped, I am seen, I am unrecognizable. And if, what, if you wrote, would you write in my margins? Eyes drawn to the center, text upon my page. And if, 
What? If you... wouldn't. Would you? Shelve it for another day. That was beautifully read. That was beautifully written <laughs> and beautifully you. read. Oh, thank you. It's just, you know when, like, something kind of takes your breath away? That's how I felt. Like, when I, I was reading it, I was like, this is a really good poem. But, like, reading it from the source, TM. <laughs> like, getting it from you and your voice and, like, how you intended it to be read is priceless. Yeah, I think this works both as a written poem and, like, it would equally work as an audio poem. Clearly, yes. as we've demonstrated now. <laughs> this one made me feel things. I felt very, like, exposed reading it. Like, there's this romance going through it. There's this vulnerability. And there's just, like, this... After the hell year and a half, two years, whatever, how long it's been, decade, that we've had, like, this touch starveness that just comes through it, I feel. Which is wild. Yeah, there's definitely an intimacy that, like, now we can really only get it in romantic situations. But, like, it's an intimacy of, like, someone you know so deeply or that you could know so deeply. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a great read and a, a great poem. Um, what inspired it, if, if we can ask? Because this one seems pretty personal. <laughs> you don't have to share if you don't want to. I, I would say the instant or the moment, the visual that inspired it was watching someone read a book and thinking about the way it feels when someone looks at you in a certain way. That's really, I feel, all I need to say about it. I think you, you're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> we've all been there. We've, we've all had that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, or like, well, I don't know. It was kind of, I don't want to say intended because I wrote them at different times, but I enjoyed having that one right before the marginalia in retrospect yeah. because it kind of takes the concept of being beneath someone's thumb into totally different interpretations. One of which is like a desirous kind of way and another one is like the complete opposite, like a, a very um, bad way, I'll say. When you're reading beneath your thumb and then you go to marginalia in retrospect, you, you kind of have like this flip-flop of the different types of slam poetry, I guess, of like spoken word poetry. You know, the ones that like you're just there and you're sitting and you're like, you're feeling them and you're, you're inside of your guts, you know, and then the other one where you just kind of like want to start punching things in like, you know, collaboration with the author. Yeah, Kool-Aid man through this person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I am so happy that it resonated with anyone. And even if you didn't enjoy it, I would still want to know your thoughts because it's like, I just want to connect, connect with you, connect with people. And so I'm really, really grateful that you read it and talked to me about it. Thank you. We're really grateful for you writing it and coming on to speak about it with us. Is there anywhere where you'd like people to find you on the internet? Yes, actually. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram at Megan's Desk. That's probably the best place to find me. That's kind of where I post my poems, upcoming projects, and every now and then I post some reviews about what's going on. So if you'd love to get in touch with me or anything, I would love to hear from you. Um, you can find me there. People can buy the book at bywords.ca b-y-w-o-r-d-s and it's a limited run as well yeah you can get them at bywords.ca and if you're experiencing a financial hardship or anything just reach out to me and we'll find a way to get it in your hands and if you want to find us you can do that at unsighted pod on twitter or instagram we would also love to hear from you thank you for listening thank you for being here thank you for joining us megan thank you for having me and as always we're excited unavailable
actually it is this time. Contact Megan. <laughs>